Now is the time that together we open our Bibles to hear God's word and ask you to join me in 1 Samuel chapter 25. For those who were with us last week, we looked at chapter 24 and 26 as they had similar themes, and now we're right there in the middle at chapter 25. In 24 and 26 was that section, was two sections where Saul was chasing David, and David had opportunity to kill him, but restrained, and then met him afterwards and explained that restraint. In chapter 25, here in between those two, there is no, it's not about Saul and David, which someone was asking me this week, is it about Saul and David again? Well, not this particular day, sorry to disappoint you. So go with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 25. And uh, let me read a section of that before we pray and begin to dig into it. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and behaved badly. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, and David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men Find favor in your eyes, for we come on feast day. Please give whatever you have in your hand to your servants and to your son David. Verse 9. And when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal. And he said to David, or in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who, I do n who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man among them strapped on his sword. And David strapped on his, also his sword. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Let's pray. Lord, as we take uh, the time that we do each week at this moment to open your word, it is always our desire, Lord, that we simply don't go through the motions, that we just do the necessity of a sermon or, or uh, these practical cultural things. It is our desire with confidence that as we open this up, this is your living word, that every part of this is given to us by perfect, your perfect will and design, that it is profitable, Lord, for our instruction, for our correction, for our warning, for our training, for our worship, for the adoration and praise of you. Lord, we know that there is no mistake, and we would ask that in this time, as we look at this passage, that you would teach us. God, that you would open our eyes to see things uh, concerning ourselves that we need uh, by grace to address and see uh, change and growth and progress and uh, direction. Lord, that we would have uh, certain ideas and principles more firmly established in our hearts. Lord, whatever it is that you would be pleased to do, we pray, we pray earnestly, 
make use of your word in the lives and hearts of your people by the power of your spirit working in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now this is a relatively lengthy chapter and we're gonna do our best to get through much of it. I, I've really called this sermon the senselessness, or I could have said senselessnesses, the smarts and the salvations. Because there's a number of different things going on in this uh, chapter. And, and I want us to, to consider, first of all, what I would call the confusing setting. Confusing in a number of ways, because by the time we get to this chapter, it's now chapter 25, and it begins by telling us Samuel died. Now this is, uh, seems a little odd because we, th it raises a multitude of questions in our mind. We, we understand the fact that Saul was disobedient. Saul was told he was going to lose the kingdom. Really the ministry of Samuel had kind of come to an end and Saul had taken over the kingship. The people were looking to him as their king, looking to him as their leader. But what ends up really jumping out is... We've, we've seen not only compromise and wickedness generally, but Saul has now, for a sustained season, been in murderous pursuit of David. And you know what we have a tragic silence about that whole time? Where's Samuel? Why did Samuel not somehow come out of his house, come out of his tent, come out of his place, and deal with this man and confront him. It's, it's strange for this to pop up after all of the wickedness that's gone on. Remember, Samuel's the one who went and anointed David. So he knows all that is going on. He knows that, that Saul, who is in pursuit of David, is doing it, uh, going after the man that has been anointed to take the kingship after him. More than anyone else, Samuel knows these things. And it may be that he just has an absolute confidence God will bring it to bout. God has declared that David is going to be king. The man's really not in any danger because what God has determined will be. That may be true, but still it's not a place for silence for Samuel. When Samuel sees and knows about the sins of Saul, the man should have stepped out. That was his responsibility as a prophet, as a teacher of the law. He should have come forward with that confrontation. But he did not. And so it's, it's a confused setting, confused with regard to Samuel because we don't really know much about it. S surprisingly, not a lot of details are there at this section other than the fact that it says Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him there. In that general terminology, all Israel assembled and mourned for them, that indeed might include Saul. And might include David. Which remember, the previous chapter ended with what would have seemed like a moment of peace. Only for him to be pursued again two chapters later. So maybe God had brought that momentary resolve following the, the, the cave episode. Uh, to allow them to come together. But it didn't bring all things to an end. So when we consider Samuel, there's a lot of confusion. We've got to ask ourselves, where was he and what was he doing? And the answer is, we don't know that. But we can nonetheless ask ourselves this question. Do we see sin? Do we see wrong going on around us? And we're turning a blind eye. We're remaining silent. We're just letting it happen. Or worse, we're joining in. These, these are things that we need to bear in mind. Second thing with the confusing setting is, um, well, it says all Israel was assembled. So beyond Samuel having some confusion associated with him, Israel, all Israel assembled and mourned for him. Boo-hoo-hoo, Samuel is gone. But what's, what's weird is this. 
All right, you're mourning that he's dead. But when he was alive and telling you, don't pursue a king for yourself, what did they say? Uh, we want one. So here they loved him and wept for him, and they're mourning over his loss. But when he was there, they didn't listen to him anyways. It's just that... That confused notion that here are these people, oh, what will, oh, how sad, how miserable, what will we do without him? What did you do with him? When he was there, you didn't listen to him anyways. When he was there, you didn't follow him anyways. You tossed aside his sons. You didn't ask him to find men like him and put them in that position. You demanded to be like the other nations. He said, it's not a good idea. You said, but we want it anyways. At every turn, you kept looking at him and saying, we don't care what you have to say. But now that you're dead, we really are going to miss you. I find that confusing. But that's the nature of mankind. The sinfulness in people's hearts, it brings behavior that is just inconsistent. Uh, Not only Israel... We look at Nabal in this passage. Nabal, the scripture tells us concerning him. It says in verse 3, he was the man, was harsh, and behaved badly. Now, harsh, the idea of harsh, the old King James there says surly. Which we don't use that word very often, or churlish. We don't use that word very often. The man was cruel. He was brutal, and, if, and he behaved badly. I mean, if we were to put it in the modern vernacular, you might indicate that this man was an absolute jerk. No two ways around it. He was seen as that by pretty much everybody. His wife knew it. His, co- his servants and workers knew it. Everybody knew it about this fellow. It tells us, we can see in chapter 25, verse 17, as one of his servants is giving a report to Abigail about his refusal to give food and kindness to David and his men, in spite of their kindness. The servant says this, Now for, therefore, this Consider what we should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. <laughs> That's the servant's testimony. He's a wor- There's no point in even talking to this man. I know the moment I use that example, you're, you're making a mental list of people you know just like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know people. There's no point in even talking to them. Because there's, there's certain people that as you're, as you're talking to them, you know they're not even hearing a word that you say. They're only thinking about their, the next thing they're going to say. <laughs> they got no idea. Uh, and, and they don't even care to hear. They, they have their idea, they have their opinion, they have their answer. Uh, and, and listen to what it says when Abigail, in verse 25, comes to David and speaks to her concerning her husband. He says this, let not my Lord, this is a lowercase l, this is a, a sir, master, a, a word, term of respect from Abigail to David. Regard this worthless fellow Nabal for as his name is so he is Nabal is his name and folly is with him the term Nabal the name Nabal actually means fool or senseless one now so there there ends up being some question and doubt as to what's going on here because Technically speaking, when you and I, and maybe eventually the youngies here, have children, and you're contemplating naming the children, 
Lots of methodologies are involved. Lots of books are available. You can get all the, the books. You can look up on the internet. What are the popular names that are, go, that are popular right now? And they could be, you know, dimensions on a compass or they, they, all kinds of different things, colors. Different things become popular at different times and in different seasons. And, and certain names, suddenly in that j- brief generation, there's a multitude of people with that name you know following the success of Michael Jordan in the basketball world it spawned a generation of Jordans everywhere boys and girls alike it's a name that was just spread across now not always supposedly directly related to him but hearing that term over and over again it it, it comes up rarely especially in the English language Have I ever come across someone who came up and named their child Fool? Thinking, how fun will it be when he's five years old to say, Hey, Fool, get over here. Nobody thinks that would be delightful or desirable, right? Nor would any child like a name with a negative description growing up. You know? And I'm sure you could think, in addition to this one, of a lot of potentially undesirable and ridiculous names. Now, so because of that, some are saying that it may be that his legal and official name might not have been Nabal. That might have just been what everybody called him. (laughs) Well, even if it was his official name, that's what everybody called him. So I can't know for sure, but because names were often given in hopes that it would, the character of that person, beloved of God, servant of God, glory of God, uh, that the name would somehow reflect, be reflected in the character of the individual. The naming of a child Nabal, it would be hard to figure out what the parents' intentions were or what their hopes were for that child. Um, so it, it's probably likely that it was a nickname, but if it was a nickname, if it, what, it was what he was now nationally known by, I might ask you this question. Were we to take a poll at a renaming of yous or me, what do you think would people would weigh in at? Now, Thankfully, in our culture, they would just come up with something, uh, a, a name that also doesn't mean anything. You know, Well, instead of Jason, we'd call you uh, Joe or Fred. And say, well, that doesn't really signify anything. Well, it would in this particular day and age. If they were to use a one-word reference to your character or what, what they predominantly think of first when they think of you, what might it be? All right. Now, that could be an uncomfortable scenario, so let me just draw it back for a moment. Here's a better notion. If you were to choose a singular term or phrase that you would like people to think of first when they think of you. <laughs> and maybe we can think of what that might be. Not fool, for sure. What, what would we like to be thought of? By grace, pursue that. Live like that. Manifest that so that others might see it. So this is also, but as we see what, what's, this isn't the confused setting. I mean, Nabal is like this, and I'm simply laying out the fact that Nabal is like this. The guy is garbage in the nicest sense of the word, if such a nice sense exists. <laughs> but listen, the man, for all of his flaws of character, he, he's later in the story, when, when he's having the party, he's, he's off out of his mind drunk. I mean, the guy has no character from the way that he talks, the way that he responds, the way that he interacts with people, the actions that he does. The man is without any core character. And yet, listen to this. In the peculiar and oft-confusing 
kindness and providence of God, this man was rich. He was very, very rich. The term here is, is that of exceedingly great. Our, our translation says rich, but it, the, the term is bigger than rich. It's, he's great, which includes riches, because he had all of these sheep, he had all of these goats. This man was remarkably successful. Now you might ask yourself this, why is that the case? Why would God allow a foolish jerk to be remarkably successful? Not only that, he had a great wife. When the scriptures refer to this dear woman, it says regarding her in verse 3 of chapter 25, the woman was discerning and beautiful. She was, she had a sharp mind. She was a woman of knowledge and understanding. And the scripture says actually she was beautiful of form, which is a comprehensive word. In terms of, in terms of when you looked at her from a distance, when you looked at her up close, no matter how you got to look at her, yeah beautiful everybody sent and whenever anyone interacted with her she's amazing Nabal had an amazing woman in every category the inner character the intellectual ability the outer form she was great he had success in everything that was going on around him but the man was junk That's a confusing setting, isn't it? But you know what? That's the way things often work. Now, I would, li I would like that as you would hear those things, you would hear them with a, a, a sense of discontentment, where you would say this, I'd rather have a wife who's not necessarily the brightest, not necessarily the most beautiful, I, I don't need to have a lot of money and a lot of things, but I want to have good character. I want to be someone who's known, who listens, who thinks, who cares, and who responds. If you were to go around, this would be the fear. You think sometimes maybe even in particular with the, with the pull and lures of the heart for young people, if you had the choice, either or, inward personal character or everything else great, or no character, but everything else the best of, which would you choose? The temptation of the heart is, man, who cares what I'm like if my wife is amazing and, my, and my, I've got everything that I need? Who cares what people think of me? There are people who talk like that, don't they? Who cares what people think of me? I got, they only feel that way about me because I got what they want. We want to be those kind of people who, would, who, who say like that, that old hymn says, look, you can have this whole world. But give me Jesus. I don't care about these things. Because I will tell you this. Sheep, they can be stolen. The riches, that can all just crumble and fall apart. Whatever measure of beauty is there, at some point along the way, and many women are learning this the hard way, it begins to fade. And they, and they seek through all kinds of uh, medical enhancements to try to retain that unsuccessfully. And oftentimes in a way that just makes things worse altogether. Leave the rest, the, the details of that to your imagination. Um, so uh, so what, what a confusing setting of Nabal's success. The last of the confusing settings by way of just laying out this passage 
is David and his wives. This section ends in verse 42 um, through, by saying this, And Ab- Abigail hurried and rose now... Uh, those who aren't familiar with this story, as the story goes on, eventually David, though he threatens to go and kill uh, Nabal, doesn't go and kill him. Abigail stops him, explains to him he shouldn't do this, leave it to God. He leaves it to God, and God gets it done. And Nabal shortly dies as a result of his bad behavior and all of those things. And so immediately, Abigail is a widow And David forthwith takes her as his wife. (laughs) I don't know what is a more modern term for it. He quickly, (laughs) immediately, as soon as she was widowed, she was brought into the home. Now, 2 Samuel will continue to refer to her as David's wife, the widow of Nabal. That's still referred to in that way. But brings her in immediately it's also i guess a confusing setting that wow she got remarried pretty quick i mean it could have been within days or hours possibly so the the details we can't know for sure but it was brief by any any uh, imagination but not only did he marry her remember at this point he was already technically married to michael saul's daughter though after he david had been run off Saul had taken Michael and remarried her to someone else. So his, he's in the distance heard that his wife is now married to some other guy who he's, he's eventually going to come back and demand to have her back too. But he, he marries Abigail. Five women come along, and, and it tells us also this in verse 43. And David also took, kind of a pluperfect there, had taken a, a honoim of Jezreel, and both of them became his wife. So he had seemingly already taken one, and now he's taken Abigail. He's already had Michael. So David is getting himself a fair number of wives. More than one, let me tell you. Now, that can be uncomfortable to us. I mean, that's not what happens in this present society. We look at this and say, what was David doing? Well, what David was doing was not good. What's amazing, again, when we see the, the kindness and mercy and patience of God, from the beginning, by the design of God, it was one man and one woman. They become one flesh, they cleave to one another. It took... Uh, you know, time-wise is hard to say exactly, but by Genesis chapter 4, the great, 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 great grandson of Cain, named Lamech, in Genesis chapter four nineteen, it says Lamech took two wives. And that's where it seemed to have begun. David multiplied wives. He had not only Ahinoam and Abigail and Michael, but then he married another one named Makah, who was the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. He married another one named Haggish. Yeah, of course, when we see Haggish, we're thinking, uh, she couldn't have looked too good. Stop that. You, you and I, we've got problems. We, we, we're making mental images based off of the name. And it sounds like Haggis, and we're thinking of sheep innards from, and you're thinking, she looked like sheep innards? No, she didn't. But, uh, Ultimately, by the time you're in uh, a few places, like First Chronicles chapter 3, he's got himself about seven, eight wives. The scriptures had actually told um, in Deuteronomy 17 regarding a king, when he had a king, he shall not acquire for himself many har- wives, lest his heart turn away. And sadly, when you finally reach Let's see, uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, wives from Jerusalem, after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. So wives, though we only have one name given of the wives from Jerusalem, Bathsheba, Bathsheba, 
it says wives plural. So there were more than that, and in addition to that, concubines. So that's confusing. I can simply say this, bad. There you go. Polygamy was part of the cultural uh, uh, things in that time that were acceptable. It's quite clear that it looks like David was using marriages to, break, to find himself a peaceful safe place where he would be safe in the area of Jezreel during his wanderings where he would uh, make political alliances with the king of another territory. These kind of things were common as he was uh, garnering power and building up his political influences. He was even doing it through marriage. So, um, and God did not necessarily curse him directly because of that, but some may come in and say, well, guy sure had some problems with his sons. How many of his sons uh, did wrongly and tried to us usurp the throne and then tried to kill him and then battled each other? It was, it was a bad thing. And so consequences ensue. But let's move on from there. So those are some of the things in the confusing setting. Secondly, I want us to move on and consider what I would call the consistent senselessness. Nabal was a fool, and it tells us beginning in verse 10 and following that Nabal answered David's servant saying, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men that I don't know where they've come from? Now why this is senseless to some degree is because he's already had some communication with his shearers. Who is this David, where he's come from? He's not even saying David, the son of Jesse. He is a Calebite. All right, the scripture tells us. So he knows as a Calebite, as someone from that line, he knows David's clan and family. It's not a, a, that kind of a big community. He would know who he is. He simply doesn't care. He would know the, the, the chasing that's gone on. David has been wandering in the wilderness now for years, fleeing from Saul. He has with him 600 men who are fully weaponized. <laughs> they all, because he t says, each man strap a sword to your side. So when they first left out and he had to get one sword from the temple, they didn't have it. By now, every man was military equipped. Everyone strap your sword to your side, and David also strapped his. 600 men, military ready, who had been going throughout the territory, and here this man hears these things and doesn't even pause to think, hmm, there could be consequences if I say no to this guy. He's got 600 men with weapons ready to go. But here's, here's the senselessness. All Nabal seems to ever be able to think about is himself <laughs> and what he wants. Uh, it's my bread. It's my stuff. I don't know this guy. That's all I know. You know, kind of. And uh, I, I know that I myself had this tendency. I don't want to necessarily equate myself with Nabal. God help me. Uh, tendency and maybe I inherited it from my father as well to a certain extent I'm not equating him with Nabal either mind you if this is being recorded and he listens uh, not equating him but the tendency it always seemed easier when somebody came with a request to him and or to me Here, here's the best way to deal with things no no I haven't even thought about it yet but the answer is no and then uh, maybe if pushed a little bit, now I'll start to think about it and I'll start to mull it over. But before any thought is involved, yeah, it's like, no. It, a, a reflex reaction that just gets it done, uh, yeah, that's not healthy. <laughs> healthy I I is to c hear, consider, a and at this point, I'm, I'm thinking not only he should he be considering the danger to himself. But why not consider being doing good to another 
in this situation, it's not only generally doing good to another, it's doing good to someone who has already done good that has benefited him because David and his men protected the shepherds and all of his things when they were in the wilderness there in Carmel. David has already done him good. So I can think of a lot of reasons. He did me good. He deserves my kindness. Nabal, nope, not thinking of that. It's good to be kind to others. Nabal, not thinking of that. This could be dangerous for me. I mean, come on, Nabal. That's a selfish uh, information that could still help you to make a good decision. But his selfishness is of a higher level than that. No way. That's my stuff. I don't know this guy. It's not going to happen. It's kind of nobody tells me what to do. Nobody says anything to me. I, I'm Listen, not open to suggestions. Let me just write that on my shirt. Not open to suggestions. I, I decide what I want to do at all times and in all places. I don't need advice. If I wanted it, I would ask for it. But I don't ask for it because I know what I want. That's kind of Nabal, more than kind of. And so this is a consistent foolishness that is going to potentially lead him to serious harm. Uh, I want to show you, there's another senselessness that I see here in this passage, and this is with regard to David. And you know, even though David is a man after God's own heart and David was a great king, I have no problem pointing out the fact that there are some sad things in the life of David. We've seen sad things in the life of David with with Bathsheba. Here again, there's something a little senseless that's going on here. Um, Remember, the message that he sent was um, in chapter 25, verse 7, I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been uh, with us. We did them no harm. They missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men's, and they'll even tell you. Therefore, let my men find favor in your eyes. For we come on feast day and please give us what you have at hand. So here he makes this request, even humbles himself and from your servant David. But even as he comes with that humble request, what's also in David's mind? I did good. Good is owed to me. Really, David, is that the only reason you did good? So that you would get something in return? That's not right. And worse than that, when his ego gets squished right now because the good wasn't ready to give back, David responds very, very harshly. And we'll see that in a moment. So David, he, what's, what I think is senseless is for David to think that because he has done an act of goodness or kindness to someone else, that now he is entitled to the same from them. Is he entitled to the same from them? I mean, in the end, whose stuff is it? Nabal's. Does Nabal really obligated to give some of it to David? No, he's not. Now, note that some of you will see the word feast day. These are cultural things that uh, we're uh, we're not familiar with, but whenever there was sheep shearing, and that would come about at a certain time of the season, At that time of year, after the shearing was done, it was followed with a good feast for all the workers. A sweet, sweet barbecue with everybody involved. And and it was usually done in a way that it was done abundantly, that other people could join in. So let's be realistic. Practically speaking, David didn't want to just crash the party. But culturally, it, it wasn't what his request was, was totally normal and totally acceptable. Hey, we're going to be passing by. It could have been someone, hey, we're just passing by at the time that you guys are, do you mind if we stop in, have ourselves some mutton? Mm. Get ourselves some lamb chops. Do you, can we stop in and do that? Yeah, sure. Would have normally been the, the cultural way of doing things. Not so with Nabal. Now, the testimony of the shepherds concerning David and, and what he had done is they had said this in verse 15. These men were very good to us. We suffered no harm and did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we were with them. 
They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while that we were with them keeping the sheep. That's pretty good, right? So that's a, that's a wonderful testimony. But look at David's response in verse 21. Now David said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. Surely in vain I did it. I'm not getting anything out of it. David. Don't you just feel like calling him aside and saying, David, come on. Is that why you did it? For what you would get out of it? Here's what you got out of it. All those shepherds got home safe. You know? Now this is a little speculation. Nabal doesn't come across as a sweet man, does he? So if the shepherds are out in the fields going around and a a few marauding bands come in and they take some sheep and they take some goats and the men come back and they have fewer in number than they went out with the pasture, how do you think Nabal would respond? You think there'd be a little bit of lashing going on? A little bit of whipping? A little bit of cut in pay? A little bit of loss? Uh, you know, and so David, I, I think David should be able to sit back. All of these men have returned. All of these men have returned with everything so that they, they are safe. They are not under any burden. They are not under any hurt. They're not under any problem that would have come from them, from their master and loss. And so, yeah, that's the benefit of it. The benefit, here's the problem at this point. The benefit did not directly accrue to David. It was in vain personally. God help us not to think like that. It wasn't in vain for the shepherds and for the other workers. Far be it from us to be so self-serving that we think like that. The scripture gives this notion uh, when we're listening, for example, in Luke chapter 14. Jesus speaks and says to a man at a feast that he invited people to. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest or so that they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you wait in vain i invited them to my banquet because they are not able to give me anything back it's not in vain why is it not in vain they were fed (laughs) they were blessed they were benefited but they can't repay me and what is jesus saying don't think like that don't make it about Now, it's not a forbidding of inviting your friends and your neighbors or a forbidding of inviting the rich. What's being condemned here is the attitude that I need to get equal out of it for me. It's not right. Jesus says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God sees the good that we do so listen not only is there a a practical benefit to the shepherds in vain i have done this not in vain the shepherds were preserved they didn't face problem when they went back and god saw the good that you will do that you have done isn't that enough god saw that i did good to others Jesus is almost saying, if you do good to others with the view to, I'm going to get a little something back. That's not the right motive. Further, uh, in Luke chapter 6, it says this, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? And when Jesus says that, the people listening are like, uh, if I do good to the people who, the benefit is they do good to me. But Jesus is not seeing all of that temporal interchange as the real benefit. 
that constant give and take between men, he goes further and says, for even sinners do the same thing. What makes you different from the way other people think and function? And here, tragically, what was David doing? Well, I guess I say tragically, I guess I should say expectantly. David was acting like a man. (laughs) And here's a little something for us to bear in mind. Everyone in this room, we're just men and women. (laughs) And so these thoughts and feelings, they can come upon us too. But we, by grace, can have our hearts and mind renewed so that we're not caught in that kind of thinking. What do I get? And maybe sometimes when we start to think like that, the spirit stirs within us and we're like, wait a second. Why am I thinking like that? Stop that. Stop that. It doesn't matter whether they're going to appreciate what I've done or not. It doesn't matter whether they're going to this or that. What matters is, is it beneficial to them? Am I doing good? Are others blessed? And is God pleased? That is enough. Because to him, I look to him for my reward, not to others. That's why he goes so on to say in Luke chapter 6, um, even further he says, verse 35, love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He is kind even to the ungrateful and evil. I think that's a real good way to characterize Nabal. Ungrateful and evil. What was David's intent to do to him? I'm killing this guy. Actually, if you you look at the term, uh, he, he even does it almost, and I'm glad he backs off of it, he does it in an oath like fashion. The Lord do so to me. Whoa! I mean, that's like. This day does not end with that man still standing or any of his family and friends. I mean, it's just, it's really the opposite of what Jesus was teaching. And so David makes that threat and goes in, and thankfully he did not follow through on that particular vow. What's amazing is this. And I want you to note this. If you were to go back one chapter, David, in chapter 24, verse 17, this is Saul saying to David, when David didn't kill him, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I had repaid you evil. Verse 19, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me. So David has at certain times done it and done it right, considered. And, and this is what I want us to note this. These aren't things that like, all right, I used to make that mistake and now I don't make that mistake anymore. What's interesting is this isn't where uh, this is where David did it right the first time. And he did it right in chapter 24, but now chapter 25 comes around where he's older, mature, more experienced, and what does he do then? The wrong. So, so does experience of doing it right, does occasions of doing something right, mean that you're fixed forever? (laughs) You and I both wish that, don't we? (laughs) No. In any given... Now, what what could be going on this day? Were they particularly hungry? Were they particularly tired? Were they, what was going on in David's life that on this occasion he was not merciful but murderous? Here's my answer. I don't know. But here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter. Right is right and wrong is wrong 
regardless of how I feel. Well, I'm tired, feeling a little low blood sugar, so um, people just need to understand how I get when I'm like this. No, really not. We just need to, we just need to by grace, learn to have greater restraint in, in, those, in those times. And those times are real. Now let's, let's go look at it from the other side. Your brothers and sisters, they do go through things. And restraint is harder at certain times uh, uh, of, the, of the day or the week or the month or whatever may be going on. It is harder. So don't be so quick to jump on them. Don't be so quick to judge them. Because what they don't do now, you might see them going over, above, and beyond in mercy and kindness and graciousness maybe last week or maybe next week. Okay? So let these be for our own hearts and our own growth. We've got to get moving. I want to see, show you now from the consistent senselessness to the considerable smarts. Abigail comes in and she makes haste. It tells us in verse 18 and following. She brings 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep that were already prepared, sheep that were already prepared. All, where'd she get all these loaves and bread? They had prepped for a feast. <laughs> Okay, so she went in to, the, to what was being set aside for the feast and she grabbed a load of that stuff and she went out. And she goes out to meet, meet David and she goes before him and she doesn't mince words. She gives him the gifts. She meets him on the way and it tells us uh, she fell down. In verse 24, it says this, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt that's a pretty amazing thing isn't it is i ask you this what did abigail do wrong no on this occasion she she, she hadn't done what nabal had done and she's saying yeah put it on me what yeah let let, let the but you didn't do it. actually if they had come to her and asked permission to let these people come. What do you think she would have said? It's likely she would have agreed very easily. And yet it's such a sweet thing whenever we see that. And, and it's hard not to, not to always when you see somebody stand forward and says, let, say, let me be a substitute. <laughs> uh, for us not to think of Christ, isn't it? want us to know this, it, it, we, we see Nabal and we see the harshness of his characteristics and we make the lit mental list of people that we know who are like him. For the most part, we don't put ourselves on that list. But with regard to those who deserve judgment and punishment and death, every sinner deserves that. That's the wages of sin is death. And so the list of those who deserve to have all of the punishment of their sins brought back on their head, who is that? That's every single one of us. And, and Abigail, much in a Christ-like spirit, says, on me. Now here's the difference. Abigail doesn't have to bear it. It doesn't come on her. <laughs> Mercy was simply extended because this was a temporal thing. A man was offended. In order for mercy to be extended to us, it wasn't simply that Christ says, put it on me. He took it. It isn't that God simply pushed it aside and said, now, I'm not going to put it on anyone since you're willing to do that. No. He poured it out on Christ. So in the, but we see that what picture. She comes and says, let me, let me speak of these things. Let me tell you these things. She goes on to explain all that she's done. She speaks so humbly. She pleads for forgiveness. She, she also comes with this notion. You don't want to do this. Um, verse 30. When the Lord has done. Uh, to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you. The stories had gone around that David was going to be king. When God accomplishes this, so you've got to love Abigail's faith here. When God accomplishes what he said he's going to do for you, 
which again reminds us, Nabal has heard of him. The whole family knew about him. And has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. In other words, um, let's see here. What in the law says someone was mean to you, kill him. Is that, is, is that anywhere in the, in the Ten Commandments for, for them living under the Old Covenant? No. What, what, what occasions was murder acceptable? Well, uh, the community could kill someone when they were caught in, in violation of the law. When someone killed someone, they could kill. Who did Nabal kill? Was Nabal, by the hand of David, deserving of death? He could not. And so, so what, what's sweet about this is Abigail comes and she appeals on the basis of not, this is amazing, not mere concern for her husband, but a concern for David. And more than that, I would say in this context, a concern for what's right before God. Don't bring this blood guilt on you. Don't bring, this, uh, don't bring this on your conscience. You don't want to do this. It's not acceptable. You don't want to become king and have been that kind of guy who puts aside the law of God, the will of God, and follows your own ego and pride. You don't want to be that guy. And so she appeals to David, and David comes to her and says this, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who, verse 32, who sent you to me this day, and blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and working salvation with my own hands. In other words, vindicating myself, proving my own name. Really, the, in this passage, there are concurrent salvations. I'll end just by, by covering these things. There is, a, there is a salvation, means a deliverance of Abigail from Nabal. One of the things that happens in this passage, when she goes back and tells her husband, look, he was going to come, and he was going to kill you. It tells in verse 37, she told these things, his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. I don't need to worry about medically figuring out exactly what happened. I know that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. What, whatever, however medically induced that was, that was very near the end. It says in verse 38, And ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So the, here's some of the concurrent salvations. One, deliverance is Abigail is delivered from Nabal. And she's delivered, what else is, what, or Ab, another salvation is Abigail is used to deliver David from blood guilt and senseless retribution. Uh, well, let me back, back it up even another deliverance. Abigail was used to deliver Nabal from death by the hand of David, and David from blood guilt. Abigail then was benefited with a deliverance from Nabal and a deliverance unto David. So God worked all kinds of deliverances in that day. And, and what's in interesting to note this, David was urged not to be one who tried to work salvation for himself. <laughs> That's an important picture too. Why? Because with regard to eternal salvation and the deliverance from sin, can anyone work that salvation for themselves? No, that salvation has to be left what? Like in this scenario where God brought about these many deliverances, the ultimate deliverance is left in the very same hands of the only one who can save, and that's God alone. We've gotten a little over, so let us, uh, let us pray. Lord, uh, so much in this passage that so pertains to our lives and to our experiences um, that really touches... Um,
on our core. Uh, it, it, it does seem that because of, of our sinful nature and the world in which we are born, there's some degree of navel-like qualities um, and tendencies at times in all of us. We even see those same kinds of senseless uh, tendencies in men committed to you, such as a David here. And we just so desire, God, that you would um, work within us in our hearts, that as we begin to respond and react in ways that are that way, God, open our eyes. Help us to see those things in ourselves and grant us that grace uh, with that great longing that we do have to please you. Lord, we thank you that as we ask these things and we pray these things, it, it is with the confidence that these are the things that you are pleased to work in the hearts of your people. It pleases you to conform us to the image of your son. You use the word preached to bring about that renewing of our mind that we would learn to see these things more quickly, that we would in dependence upon you learn to root them out and react more pleasingly in your sight. God, help us. We give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name.